Well, I just kind of, I found over the years, and I want to come to what Heidi has said, just a couple of things about this that I have, have noticed over the years in coming alongside of people in their spiritual formation and also being mindful of my own spiritual formation is that, in, and, and we talked about this last week, we talked about uh, what it reveals, so what it what it reveals in our hearts. Uh, so we worked with uh, Luke chapter four, and particularly Jesus in the wilderness, in solitude, in you know maybe quite a, maybe not silence all the time because he's probably rehearsing prayers, but certainly a lot of of silence is that it both reveals the idols, you know, kind of the significant idols of our lives or of humanity. So the idol of seeking comfort from a created thing. So like the bread, I'm hungry, I'm going to eat bread. Um, Or other possible created things that we seek comfort from. And, you know, for us in the modern society and in America, there's a lot of created things that we can pursue for comfort. Uh, my 13-year-old my niece is, is visiting me right now. And one of the things that her parents and I and her grandparents and I have been thinking about over the last year or two is that I think this kid might have um, an, an addiction, and her addiction is the, is the screen. And it's not, you know, I, th- I think that we can all be addicted to screens. I think kids can all be addicted to screens. Um, but this, and we, we use that phrase kind of lightly. Uh, but with her, what I notice, and, and this is where I'm sort of wondering uh, with her, is that her personality changes when she interacts with her screen. So maybe she's moody and, you know, pissy, uh, you know, one moment, but then she's back on her screen and it's okay again. So there's something, you know, uh, and there's a great New York Times article about this recently, but there's something that, that changes in her personality when she has that thing. And um, so we talked about that last week. We talked about, um, uh, you know, seeking comfort in the created things. The second temptation was uh, pursuing power and, um, and how that's another way of, uh, you know, you're, you're giving something to the created thing. And then finally, uh, fame. So we, we, we worked with that. Um, I find that when we move into silence, there's sort of three generalized voices, if I could say, that, that are sort of running dialogue in our, our mind. So, so the first voice might be something like the judgmental parent. Now, and for me, that's like not enough. Not enough prayer, not enough scripture reading, not enough kindness, not enough love, not enough being good to your neighbors. I mean, whatever that is, it's not enough. Uh, Not enough exercise, not enough eating well, not, you know, too much drinking wine. Or, you know, there's sort of the, you know, it's a a pretty intense, uh, it can be a pretty intense judgmental, 
parents. So that's that's kind of one of the inner dialogues. And, and you may notice that. I, I think a lot of us who have been steeped in the evangelical context, we have a lot of I not, not enough. Um, because, you know, we apply scripture and then, you know, um, yeah, not enough. Or judgmental. Um, so, so then the other thing that I find is that there can be also the child um, part of us that's like pissed off or temper tantrum or just fun and delightful and, you know, uh, uh, creative and, and there's that dialogue. And there's parts of that that are really good and helpful and then parts that are maybe not so good and helpful. You know, kind of the narcissistic, you know, why didn't so-and-so say hi to me, why didn't they, you know, there's kind of that self-centered, that, that's sort of the child, right? Because the, the child is, you know, it's sort of all about me and my uh, universe. So there can be that, that kind of voice or that kind of dialogue. And then there can be the, the loving adult. And this is the voice that I think more uh, coalesces with God's voice. So, you know, if you, you think about how, you, how much you, you love your children or you're delighted in them or, or just how that, that pours out in you or your, your faithfulness, your willingness to sacrifice for your kids. Uh, you know, last week, um, Odin was in the hospital again. He had to have... Uh, two surgeries. Uh, one was to uh, put in a, a tube directly to his stomach because he's, he's not gaining enough weight so they're going to have to like you know feed him that way and the other was uh, a duct into his body cavity so that they, he can go on dialysis um, pretty soon. So um, you know so I was just on pins and needles wanting to know how that little guy was doing and when they sent a picture from Stanford Hospital and he's like playing with his balloon and he's smiling I just laughed with joy you know and I and that's you know that's the God you know the loving parent adult so I think that we can have all of these voices and so one of the things that silence does for us is just kind of help us notice that and then um, and then with that the Lord gently brings us in to the loving parent or the loving adult, you know, and we don't judge the judgmental parent, right? Because that doesn't really work because you're just using the same, you know, using the same judgment to, it doesn't get rid of it. But you can just kind of say, like Jesus would say, like, okay, you know what? Yeah, I got it. I, I you know, I know you're worried about that. And I've got it. Receive my mercy. Receive my love. So that's just, you know, free of charge. Uh, what you might want to notice as you're practicing silence. Um, let me just look briefly at uh, the passage I want to explore today. And it's in Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 12. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray... And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. 
Simon, who he, whom he called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So, leading up to this passage, we had the Luke chapter 4, and there was this big confrontation with Satan. Uh, Jesus went back, uh, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, to Nazareth, and that's where he announced his mission. Immediately into conflict after that as well, and basically gets ran out of town. So his hometown rejects him. They can't they can't believe that he's who he is saying he is. Uh, then um, there's conflict with demons, uh, chapter 4, verse 33, and in that area, uh, 34. And then there's a very long series of conflict with the scribes and the Pharisees, with the religious leaders. So um, chapter 5, verses uh, 21, there's conflict when there's the healing of the paralytic. And Jesus, you know, reads their thoughts. I mean, that's kind of a bummer that Jesus can read the thoughts. That's, you know, you really can't get away with too much there. Um, and then the next section is that Jesus has called Matthew to be a disciple, and he's eating with with the sinners and uh, drinking with the, the sinners and the tax collectors and the Pharisees are unhappy about that. Then the next section is they're asking, you know, why don't you fast? Why don't your disciples fast? So another conflict. The next section is uh, moving into chapter 6 now, chapter 6 verses 1 and then following Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field as his disciples pluck a piece of grain and eat it on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees have a fit about that. And then we are still in the Sabbath, and Jesus heals a man with a withered hand. So he's working and healing on the Sabbath. So you can see there's just this, this ongoing uh, climax of conflict with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And this is what sets up the passage that we have now. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God and when day came he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. So when Jesus needs to make a big decision, he moves into silence and solitude. And what comes out of that is something that's very surprising. He chooses 12 men at this point, seven of whom are fishermen, a couple of whom are tradesmen, one who's a tax collector, one who's a zealot, and then um, we don't know the, the occupations of the others. So in juxtaposition to the Pharisees and the religious leaders who, you know, these are the leader dudes of the time, Jesus, out of his silence, chooses these very ordinary guys. And then later on, I mean, so they're, you know, their fathers aren't priests. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're not religious leaders. No one in their family is a, a religious leader. And so what is Jesus doing at this point? He's rejecting the cultural idol of what a leader is. 
And once again, he's going back to the created intention of humanity, which is to partner and to rule with God. Everyone. Not just the religious leaders. Everyone. And so he, you know, chooses these Joe Schmoes, you know. And later on, he chooses non-Jews and even women. So basically, that silence allows him to be countercultural, to confront the idols of the time, and with wisdom, do something different. And with wisdom to do something that gets us back to the, the created intention of humanity, which is to rule with God. Now, how does this happen? I, I think that my, my surmise with this is that, and this is very unusual, and we don't, I'm not going to take the time to go into it right now, but Jesus shows a different way of praying, which we haven't seen amongst the Jews before, or amongst anyone. Okay, think about the cultural context. You've got pagans. So pagan um, gods have their own little temples, and you should go to those temples, you should sacrifice some things, you should give your money, you should give your, uh, you know, uh, some clothes, or you should give some animal blood, you know, something along those lines. So that's, that's the pagan side. The Jewish side is, um, there's, a, there's a bodily posture to it, but it's usually communal. So bodily posture is, and if you know we wanted to take the time, we would we would practice this bodily posture. But basically, it is you know stand here, down on your knees, prostrate forward, up, stand up, down on your knees, prostrate forward, put your head to the floor, get up. Now. What is that form of prayer like? Burpees. <laughs> no, because you don't jump and you don't do a push-up. And you just get to be on your knees. It's easy. Well, sort of easy. It's, it's like the Muslim form of prayer, right? So, so that, that was the way of Jewish praying. Now, and usually it was communal, and usually they're practicing the Psalms and practicing the prayers that they've memorized. Now, it seems like Jesus is doing something very uh, vastly different. One, because he, he's by himself. And we don't get this because our culture is so individualistic and we've been told, you know, for a long time to have a quiet time by yourself. But this was unusual. Uh, so I think that what happens when Jesus is in these moments is that um, in, in John chapter uh, 5, 17 through 20... Jesus, you know, he's having another conflict with the Pharisees at this point, and he says, you know, my father's working until now, and I'm working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he speaking, uh, breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Okay, that's a problem. Going on from there, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing 
For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. And then so on from there. So I, I think that those times of silence and solitude are allowing Jesus to connect and to see what the Father is doing and then enter into with wisdom. And, and obviously he's filled with the Holy Spirit too. But And then enter into uh, the, the cultural context and do things that are vastly creative and different and address the and, and confront the cultural idols of the time. And I think that that is what happens with us as well. That when we move into silence and solitude and we can quiet ourselves, it enables us to connect with the Spirit and, and see what the Father is doing, to pray in the name of Jesus, to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and then to not only address the idols that are within ourselves and that, you know, what, what God is wanting to... And remember, like, addressing idols is not like, <clears throat> oh, shoot, I have got an idol. It's... It, you know, it's it's freedom. It's bringing it before the Lord and experiencing His love and His freedom. It's a release from bondage. It's not just like, oh shit, I've got an idol. It's wow. It's it's freedom and it's insight and it it makes things better. That And then it also allows us to confront the idols of our culture in ways that are, are wise and life-giving to others as well. Let's pray. Spirit, help us to see Papa. Help us to see the work of Papa that is happening now. Jesus, help us to see your work. Spirit, fill us with your power and your courage. It takes courage, I, I realize, I recognize, to choose different ways than our culture chooses. So help us to do that and give us... Uh, intense freedom and insight and wisdom to do so. Amen.